Welcome back to the Intelligent Conversations podcast. Today, I have the honor to learn from Dr. Doug Shaw. Doug has a PhD in mathematics, teaching at the University of Northern Iowa. Doug is the author of Social Nonsense, which are games to unleash our creativity. He has also taught business, theater, and written in oral communication. So, Doug... Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate you taking the time to come on my show. But I'm going to open up with this. A lot of kids, I mean, this was just when I was in high school, hated math, man. So why, what drew you to math and what just kind of started you down that road? Like, why math? (laughs) Because I was, uh, I got my degree undergraduate in computer engineering and I was a systems engineer and I hated it. Uh, conversations about golf and neckties were starting to become interesting. The only thing I could think of to do to get out of prison was to uh, get a PhD in something. And uh, math was it based on my transcript. Math was my shot at getting a PhD. That's amazing. I love that. The short version of the story is I tell people I thought I was waiting in line for cats. What? (laughs) I just tell people I thought I was getting tickets for cats and I uh, wound up getting a PhD. Because I don't necessarily want people to know. Huh. That is... Wow. That's fascinating, though. So what was then the draw to math? Like, I mean, you kind of obviously just chose it. Well, what you you took in high school, uh, basically high school math is you're powerless and being acted upon. These are things you're allowed to do. These are things you're not. Here are these procedures. And so it's not necessarily it's not necessarily like the feeling you get when you do math as a researcher. I am not acted upon. I act. So if I say let S be a set with the following properties, it has the same weight as somebody saying let there be light and there was light. I get to define things. Uh, one of the latest things I've been doing, uh, we have this thing, my person I'm working with, that we want to happen. And we keep changing the definition to make it work the way we want. And when you're in high school, you don't get to change the definitions. You get marked wrong if you dare get a definition wrong. Whereas uh, at research level, it's a lot more fluid and creative. That's cool. So you you kind of get to set the like the standards of which or the rules, right? Of yeah, not only yeah, we get to set the rules and we get to investigate stuff, and we get surprised. What kind of surprises have you ran into? I was trying to prove there were at most 10 things of a certain kind of thing. And then one of my students actually proved there were infinitely many. So I thought there were 10 and there were infinitely many. I'm pretty much couldn't be more wrong than that. But so so that was hilarious. You know, so moments like that you don't get in high school math. That's true. Why do you think that is? Well, because uh, right now in the United States, high school mathematics is this big race to get you to take calculus. And they cut out everything that isn't really on that path. And so if you don't wind up taking calculus, it's like you've been preparing for a race that you're never going to run. And uh, along the way of this preparing, I got I'm I'm happy with this analogy. I'm going to keep going with it. it. So along the way with this race, because you need to get to this particular line, you ignore all the pretty trees and flowers and scenery along the way. Whereas there's a lot of cool stuff that can be done with a high school or a junior high or an elementary level school level of mathematics that you just don't see because they don't have time to tell you about that. 
the paper I'm proudest of is I'm working on an unsolved problem in fifth grade mathematics that nobody has solved to this day. And I think fifth graders should learn about this problem because it's unsolved and they can understand. Yeah, I think I agree. I think that at some point you should realize that there's things out there that are just unsolvable that we're trying to figure out, hey, we, we don't even know the answer to this, man. And yeah, it gets very difficult. <laughs> I gather that you might have one or two geeky listeners. So uh, if they want to look it up, uh, Colat's Conjecture, Mm -hmm. C-O-L-L-A-T-Z conjecture. Uh, that is an unsolved problem in fifth grade mathematics. Hmm. There you go. For the listeners tuning in right now, <laughs> go check that out. I, I, I'll definitely check that out. So kind of for context, I I actually went that calculus route and uh, towards, what was it? Yeah, my sophomore year of high school, they uh, gave, <laughs> they're like, all right, the year was ending. I was finishing what was called secondary math two. And they're like, all right, so your only options left is AP Calculus or AP Statistics. And right. I'm like, well, like, and they're like, usually take Calculus first, then Statistics. I'm like, well, yeah. might as well take Calculus. And right. that is a whole nother level of math, though, that yeah. like the jump from that to Calculus was, yeah, that was, that was difficult. <laughs> all of a sudden, you're actually yeah. getting challenged. And yeah, it was, it was hard. But anyway, just kind of question I have is, I, I think you still have to have that base understanding, right, to jump into those other mathematics and eventually try and solve those unsolvable equations. Well, if you're trying to solve the unsolved problems, yeah, you need a lot of math. But I don't think it's as important for high school students to solve unsolved problems as much as just to see them and play with them. Mm. Like just experiment with the math that yeah. they already understand and then yeah. try and figure yeah. it out. My favorite math to teach is called graph theory. And for that, you need no arithmetic. There are no numbers in it at all. Uh, and it's not graphs like a curvy graphs. It's graphs of vertices and edges. So here's a graph theory problem that uh, my friend and I were interested in to give you an example, the flavor of it. Uh, picture all the active Facebook accounts in your state. That's a lot. Okay. Uh, and so assume that if you post something, all your friends get to see it. Mm -hmm. What's the smallest number of active Facebook accounts so that if everybody posted the same thing, like there's a tornado coming, coming, all the active accounts will see it. There's no math in that. There's no arithmetic in that. It's all relationships. So we're going to make every Facebook account just draw a dot to represent that account. If two accounts are friends, draw a line between them. Yeah. So now you're looking at this network, right? And we're trying to find the smallest set of dots that are connected to everything. Whoa. That's a math problem. Yeah, that... and, it's an, and it's useful because, yes, for tornadoes, but if we solve that problem, I bet the Coca-Cola company would be really interested in knowing who those accounts were. Oh, I... Because all you have to do is have, let's, let's assume, my guess was there were 10. So let's say you get these 10 people, bribe them to say the new vanilla Coke is delicious, and everybody on Facebook in that state can see that message. So had I solved that problem, uh, a lot of people would be very interested in knowing how to find that group. Exactly. No, I think, man, that is a, it does sound like a lucrative. Uh, <laughs> if, in case you're interested, we proved the problem was what's called NP complete, meaning, no, we're not going to be able to solve it. Oh, <laughs> so, just... 
I proved that I could not solve the problem. Wow. And so we have to, you know. But that branch of mathematics is called graph theory. Do you think one day that it could be solvable? No. Just not at all? No. It's, well, it's called NP-complete, and it, it's a technical definition, but the answer is most people believe it is not solvable. Wow. That's... And there's a whole class of problems that are called NP-complete. And if you solve one of them, then you can solve them all. Gotcha. So there's all these different math problems called the NP-complete problems. And if you solve just one of them, then they're all solved. Wow. So, oh, dang. Yeah, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. That's. But my point is, there are no, I did not give you a single number, and you did not have to factor an equation to have this conversation. Yeah. And that that so that's why I like graph theory. Huh. That is interesting. So how many of those uh equations, I guess, or just endpoint? Yeah, and yeah, complete. They how many of those exist that are just unsolvable? Hundreds. Hundreds. Yeah. That's. It's funny because I, I I wasn't really thinking we were going to be talking about math, but I can do that. <laughs> no, no, no. I well, that's that's the point. I I like talking random things and yeah, hear like hearing what you have to say. So the latest thing I'm working on math research wise, uh, I've actually published about this in math education papers because it came from a student asked me a question, and the answer to his question was no. Uh, he asked, is it true that every graph with particular properties has this other one? And I said, no, that's not true. And the reason I knew it wasn't true is because had it been true, I would have heard about it. Yeah. So now I couldn't think of a simple example. And the math education part here is my temptation was to say, let me think about this and I'll give you an example tomorrow. Hmm. But instead, what I said is the answer to your question is more interesting than anything I'm going to talk about today. Screw that. Let's work on your question. And I had all the students to start working on finding an example to show that that uh, this guy uh, Harris was wrong, basically. So we had the whole class trying to prove Harris wrong. And uh, after 45 minutes, everybody was involved and excited. The fact that the teacher didn't know the answer made it better. And the students who were not as who were starting a little weaker students, mm -hmm. they found a niche in that when anybody thought they had an answer, those students would go and check. So literally, I had every single student out the board fighting and arguing that after 45 minutes, we did find a counterexample, which I called a Harris graph named after this kid Harris who asked the question. And now that's the paper I'm working on right now. I mean, that's my research field is Harris graphs, all because I didn't blow off this kid's question. That's amazing. I, I love that you took the time to actually listen to... <laughs> You know another student that actually yeah. challenged because sometimes people get so uh, well the instinct was to say no but that's where the improv comes in right i had all this improv training i thought what am i doing this is this is the real education right here is in me giving up and having the students do it and so that's how that's the theme of the math education paper isn't that particular problem as much as that process there you go wow yeah that's so cool so you talked about improv there and I, I mean, I kind of did a little bit of research. It looks like you taught theater as well. Is that where you learned how to do improv or was, was that somewhere else? I wound up uh, doing an improv workshop with a friend when I was getting my graduate degree and fell in love with it. And then when I was in uh, Minnesota doing a postdoc, I started taking improv classes at Stevie Ray's. 
that's uh, one of the improv teachers in Minneapolis. There are a lot of really good ones. And uh, yeah, and I just fell in love with it. And I never thought I'd make money at it. Certainly doing theater, I wouldn't make money at it. But uh, it turns out that people who do a lot of improv are really successful in other fields. And uh, so the College of Business here hired a theater professor to work with them, with their students, on developing certain kinds of listening and soft skills that improv teaches. Then I got involved with that project. And from there, I got involved with an international organization called the Applied Improvisation Network. And they consult with business leaders and all this stuff using things from theatrical improv to develop people's creativity and listening abilities. And so I've been doing work, a workshop called Improv for Teachers all over the country. I want to say all over the world, but I'm thinking Canada and the United States. It's a pretentious to say all over the world. But I've done improv workshops for teachers all over the That's cool. United States and Canada. That's really cool. And I, I love how you talked about how there's like crossover between uh, the ver- like various industries, right? So you were talked about business people. You also, right, yeah. academia, you have theater, right? Various, most people would look at that and say, this like these have nothing in common, but mm-hmm. the reality is, is you brought together with improv. And I think that's, yeah. that's really cool because you got to be able to talk with people. <laughs> Robert Heinlein said, uh, specialization is for insects. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, I, I kind of want to roll off that thought. I remember my dad actually sent something because he was complaining at work about how some people were too specialized. And he sent me this podcast because I like listening to podcasts. And anyway, the guy was talked about how there's too many people specializing, but we need to actually (laughs) de-specialize. It kind of sounds like we shouldn't do that, but it's like, hey, we should look to de-specialize because, I mean, his argument was that during COVID or all that, we had all these doctors that just kind of went home because they were too specialized. Like that was their thing. Like the radiologist, they were just sitting at home whereas they could have been actually in the hospitals helping out and stuff. And the thing is, that was kind of his argument was we should look to de-specialize. I'm totally with that. The origin of the current liberal arts core at Harvard, which is now all, it's now a country established that if you go to university, you take distribution courses and all that. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. This this came from the 50s, where a lot of Harvard people after World War II were pointing out that the people who were in charge of the Nazis, the big Nazi thinkers, yeah. they weren't random people. They were Germany's best and brightest and smartest that had no moral code whatsoever, that Germany's elite – became the leaders of the, a lot of them became leaders of the Nazis. So something's wrong with your education system. If you have your best and brightest going out and doing complete evil. Exactly. And so they started preaching the idea of a broad-based education, that before you get your college degree, you should be exposed to lots of different things to broaden your outlook. So you're not just kind of a focused machine. Yeah, that, that tunnel vision type thing. So yeah. just to kind of clarify, the, the Nazis were the ones with that tunnel vision specialization type thing. Well, the, 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 now again, I didn't do this research firsthand. It was uh, somebody I know who does research. Uh, 
not the rank and file, but a lot of the Nazi leaders were highly educated people, but mm-hmm. tunnel vision, you know. Gotcha. Eichmann, who designed the gas chambers, uh, was a brilliant engineer. And so they came, here's the problem. We want to kill all these people. And logistically, that's really hard. Can you help us design a system where we can really kill a lot of people at once? And he was a highly trained engineer. And so for him, this was an engineering problem. Mm-hmm. And it didn't occur to him to question what he was doing. His education didn't really train him to think along those lines. Yeah, that's a dangerous trap, too. <laughs> right. And, and so, but, but stories like that are why the United States took the tack of, yes, we'll train you to be an engineer, but we're going to make you read a book first. Yeah. And you know, and learn a couple of things. Yeah, as much as we all question, oh, this has nothing to do with. I'm like, yeah, but it's right. to expose you to more. Now, I can tell you in my short. Well, actually, no. In my business career, that's my engineering career, and to sell my workshops, I've had to do a lot of sales. All those distribution courses that I thought at the time were useless, although interesting, a lot of that came into play. I bet. You know, just just things like in a large corporation, you can't necessarily get information from people who are supposed to give you information because everyone's busy. Mm-hmm. So you tell somebody, I need this data, and they'll say, I'll get it to you in a week, and you want it tomorrow, but they have a lot of other things to do. Uh, when I was at GE, I was the specialist in getting that information. So I wasn't the greatest uh, systems engineer, but I was the one they sent to other departments to get stuff. And my big secret was if I saw somebody had a picture of, uh, I don't know, the Ramayana on a wall, uh, the story, uh, I learned about that in my Hindu mythology class. Hmm. And I said, is that from, you know, is that like the story, is that Rama and Sita? And the guy goes, yes, I love the story. So I just shot the bull with him for a couple of minutes on uh, Hinduism because I learned that in this class and I was interested that he knew this stuff. But then every time I would go there, we'd get our information in a day. We never had to wait the week. That's that's more efficient, too. I mean, <laughs> right? That, that was my general education, you know. And that's happened time and time again. If you know about stuff, you can connect to people. And that's yeah. I, I mean, I'm just thinking of this from a business owner. I, I don't know why you wouldn't want that. It's yeah, yeah. Like, well, I'm talking to the wrong person because this entire podcast. I've seen your list of guests. It's all it's all about people who can geek out about various different things exactly no that's that, that's why i like it i mean i get it here for i mean that's the thing ultimately i want people that are listening to hear like various voices of like hey these are some fascinating people around the world and they're just like you and i and they have their thing that they're intelligent at and then I guess if you could say my selfish reason or the reason I love it is because I get to learn so many interesting things from just various people. And it's fascinating, but man, you would have liked the show. I, I, I did it. I want to do it again sometime. It's about a half hour. Uh, So the show it's called the geek out where you have three people, ideally audience members, right? And they get, I forgot the time. I think it's four minutes. I don't remember the number, but something like four minutes to stand in front of an audience and geek out about that thing that nobody wants to hear them talk about, right? Mm-hmm. So you get three four-minute little geek out stuff. Then the audience votes. The top two vote-getters get four more minutes. Whoa. 
and then the audience votes, and then the top member gets another four minutes. That sounds like interesting, very interesting. It was performed at once, and it was amazing. One guy was into World of Warcraft, and I knew the name, and I knew it was an addicted video game, right? But that's all I knew. (laughs) He was the one who got to speak three times. Wow. Because he was so excited about World of Warcraft. And there are all these intricacies I never even thought about, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really just knew it as a computer game. And he was able to entertain an audience for a total of 12 minutes. That is, wow. Other people were communicative disorders. She got to go two times. That's cool. <laughs> so what did you share on then? I was the host. Oh, you were hosting it. That's amazing. yeah. This is my structure. So yeah, I was the guy who says, "Okay, ladies and gentlemen, now what we're gonna." I was that guy. That's that's fun. So is this still going on then? I did it the one time. It was great, and I just haven't repeated it. Oh man, a half hour is a very weird amount of time for a show. If I had a one hour show, I could get a theater and book it. Mm-hmm. And if I had like a five minute thing, there are places you can do short things. A half hour structure is a little hard. To get an audience why do you think that well because it's not long enough to be worth going out for and it's not short enough to be like shoehorned into an open mic if you're going to go out to a theater you want to be entertained for an hour or more. yeah exactly that's and then then you got like the short form type stuff that people are all yeah. into today and then that 30 minute kind of hits the middle where people. Yeah. It's just, it's just not right now the right amount of time for a show. So what would you say then is the, I mean, obviously, right. You got the different formats, but what would be then the right amount? Well, uh, there's an improv show that I'm actually going to be directing. Uh, we're going to show this in August. It's a, I didn't come up with this structure. It's a beautiful structure. It's called Armando Diaz. And what we do is we get a local celebrity and I've done this before, and we've gotten the mayor, and we've gotten the uh, state senator. We got the president of the university once. So a local celebrity. I'm hoping to nab our basketball coach. And the local celebrity talks for five to seven minutes. A little monologue, uh, technically based on an audience suggestion, but so far the people we've booked, you just wind them up and let them go. Then the performers just do scenes and things inspired by what they said. It can be like a direct re- recreation or just anything that they said that sparks ideas. So we have this hilarious improv stuff. Mm-hmm. Then at some point, the speaker comes back on for monologue two, which is just inspired by something they witnessed during the during the show. Mm-hmm. So, hey, you know, when you guys did that, that reminded me of this time I went to Africa, right? <laughs> then they tell their story. Then the troop, troop riffs on it, and then they do it a third time. That's Yeah, I like that. that, that that's... So that's an hour. It's called Armando Diaz. And uh, that'll entertain an audience for an hour or more. There you go. That's that's cool. It's really cool. So I'm going to kind of shift gears here a little bit. So how did you come up then with, I mean, you wrote the book Social Nonsense. One, could you kind of like talk about how? So, so, so Social Nonsense is c- collaborative writing, drawing, and storytelling games. Mm-hmm. The working title was Restaurant Improv because all of the games can be done between the time you've ordered food and the time the food comes. And that was the origin because I hate it when you go to a restaurant with people and everybody's on their phones. Yeah. 
So I was like, hey, I, there are certain little go-to games I would always, I would always bring a legal pad or index cards to her. Hey, guys, let's do this. Right? You know? <laughs> and it turns out there were a lot of people who uh, do stuff like that. And so I'm sorry about the picture, by the way. It's like at this point, my phone, I'm, I'm holding it together with duct tape. Uh, so I started going to restaurants with, with people and finding out everybody had their own little games. And then I went to the applied improvisation conference where everybody had. So I started documenting them and I was going to make a little PDF list. And then it became a book. Uh, I, I started out writing it and I tr I've written textbooks before. So I started writing it like a textbook and I wasn't taking any joy in it. And it was boring. So one day I went to a coffee shop and I just started over and I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write this book for myself. So I was going to write a book with myself as the intended audience. And I wrote the first draft. At times I was laughing out loud. And then the second draft I cleaned up a little bit because I swear there must have been six references to Yoko Ono. And I said, okay, one Yoko reference. That's it. <laughs> and then I, so, so I made it readable to people who weren't me. There you go. But I think – People who have read it says it's a lot – people I know who have read it say it's a lot like sitting in a room with me. That for better or for worse, this is this is how I talk. That's – oh, my gosh. Yeah, I actually got a chance to – that uh, on your website, the free mm – -hmm. like, The free example. Yeah, the free yeah. example. Those games in it, they're fun games. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Yeah. They're simple. You can definitely get it done quickly. But then it actually uh, – challenges the mind too like you have to think a little bit yeah. outside the box i think it's cool my favorite ones are doing the because now i do workshops on this too i travel around and do workshops mm -hmm. on the book uh my favorite one is the art ones for non-artists so people who say they're bad at art then we do the collaborative art games and everybody is so proud and happy when it's done huh i so i i'll just put this out there i am well, probably one of those people that say I am not an artist, man. I suck at art. <laughs> so what? How how would that kind of work then? Okay, well, so there's one that I got from uh, my favorite cartoonist Linda Berry, uh, but she does it as a solo activity, and I do it as a group activity. So you divide the uh, you divide the paper into four quadrants, and then everybody top left has to draw something. I always say draw breakfast, mm -hmm. but the rule is. You have to draw for a solid minute. Good artists think that's too ridiculous. Bad artists think it's too much time. Yeah. So, so you say, look, if you're a good artist, you only get a minute. If you're a bad artist, you have to use the whole minute, right? <laughs> yeah. Then everybody passes their paper to the right, and you have 30 seconds to copy that picture on the top right of your paper. Then we pass, and then you have 15 seconds to copy the picture. So each time you have a different picture to yeah. copy. And then the last one, you get five seconds. Yeah, that would be, that'd be very fun. Now, what you get is something really beautiful. It's very cool the way what, what, what it turns out. And it's amazing how in five seconds, you can really capture the essence of that picture. Like the basics of what you're trying to draw. I mean, talking about art is a little, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's dancing about, a, dancing about a novel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to do. Uh, the other, the thing I found fun and surprising when I did the workshop, so I'm in Iowa, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of times I'll do these in like a very, in a, a rural community. 
where the library and the city hall are the same building, you know? Yeah. And I'll get a bunch of farmers who come in. And when we do those storytelling games, there is not, there are no better storytellers than farmers in their seventies. Oh, I believe it. I hundred percent believe it. None. None. <laughs> no, those, yeah, no, I hands down <laughs> believe that that is those farmers. I mean, especially when you're working out on the farm, I mean, you just have time to just come up with those stories in your head and they've all, yeah. they're already ready. That's just their moment to shine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've been waiting for this. <laughs> and you finally give them that opportunity. Oh, that's, that's amazing. So, man, so I'm going to use this as the intelligent question of the day. And that's in as, as individuals. So like someone that's listening right now, right. They're like, you know what? I want to get more creative. I want to, uh, find these opportunities to test my creativity. What's the best way? So there are two basic things that are going to cause creativity to a finished product on your left shoulder is your muse on your right shoulder is your sensor, right? Cause just unbridled creativity is just a bunch of 15 year olds talking about boobs. You know, that's yeah. <laughs> so, right. So, but most people let the sensor in too quickly because they're afraid of creating something bad. So I think what we need to do is tell people or encourage them or create an environment where it's more important to be creative than it is to be good. So feel free to create something that sucks and just enjoy creating it. And then the sensor can come in later. Uh, I've known, and I think it's worse now because in the old days, if you like to, I'm going to pick a creative act at random singing, right? Yeah. In the old days, it was very easy to be the best singer in town. Mm -hmm. And so if you were in the top half of your town, you sang well enough that you were encouraged to sing. Then in my time growing up, I was competing against people on record albums and maybe my city. But, you know, but still, in terms of local, I could be the best singer. I can't sing with that the point. But now you're competing against everybody on social media. Mm -hmm. And so we need to make it okay again to pick up your ukulele and struggle through some song because creativity is fun and good. Exactly. There's a saying that people talk about, oh, there are too much bad poetry out there. And I say, no, there's not enough bad poetry. Everybody should be writing bad poetry. That doesn't mean you publish it, but just the act of creating poetry, even if it's bad, is good for you as a as a poet. I I a hundred that's the intelligent answer of the day. I, I think on that end, uh, I mean I'm trying to think from a again, people want to improve their lives and thing is oftentimes we look on social media like using your example like man they're really good but it takes time <laughs> to become very good at something too so i mean even if you're like you know what i want to be a poet your first like i'm sure i'm trying to think of like mark twain right i'm sure his first poems weren't that spectacular he probably looked at him and like shared it with his friend and his friend's like what is this garbage and he threw it away we don't we don't even know what it is but then as you know you practice and learn and grow then you become better and better at it and eventually the best <laughs> well see i'm gonna argue there is you may not wind up getting good but that's still okay you the, you get better and better and the goal shouldn't necessarily to think this is not worth doing unless i wind up very good 
Gotcha. If you enjoy doing something for 10 years and get the experience of getting better and better, that's fine. Even if you don't wind up being good. No, I, I agree too. And even, I mean, kind of like as we were talking earlier, we can translate. I mean, you're putting that effort forward regardless or trying to just create that can translate to other areas of your life. Yes. And then that is where you can really succeed. Yes. Well, this has been fun, Doug. I appreciate you taking the time. So if people want to reach out to you, buy your book, whatever it may be, find you on social media, what's the best way that they can find you, reach out to you, all that fun stuff. Well, reach out to me. My email address is easy. If you know my name, it's dougshaw.com. And then socialnonsense.org is the book. Sweet. And then they can just purchase it from there. They can purchase it from there. It's also available on Amazon. If people have Amazon Prime and want to do that, it's uh, Social Nonsense by Doug Shaw. But if you go to dougshaw.com, you get to see all the stuff I do. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thank you for coming on, Doug. I appreciate you taking Thank you so much for having me. All right, everyone, as you can tell, that is Dr. Doug Shaw. He's a very intelligent person, has great things to share. I challenge you guys, if anything spoke to you guys today, to reach out to him, uh, buy his book if you're really interested. I challenge you guys to do that if anything spoke to you today. Stay tuned until next week. We have a great guest lined up for you guys. See you guys next week, and let's get after it. Hey everyone, if you liked this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. We release a new episode every Wednesday for you guys to listen to. Thank you guys so much for the support that you give. We could not have done this without you guys. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, check out intelligentconvos.com and fill out the form there. Thank you guys again, and let's get after it.